Welcome to Unpacking Ideas, the podcast where each episode I invite on a new guest to help me unpack an influential piece of writing from the past in order to make it more accessible in the present. Today we're looking at Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius was a Roman emperor from 161 to 180 AD, and though he humbly viewed himself as a mere student of philosophy, he has come to be considered one of the great Stoic philosophers of the late Stoic period, along with Seneca the Younger and Epictetus. Today helping me unpack this book was Steve Chung. We had a lot of fun talking about some of Aurelius's core themes around serenity, equanimity, impermanence, outcome independence, focusing on what is in our control, letting go of what is out of our control, the interconnectedness of all people, meditating on death, living in the present moment, doing what is in our nature, and expecting other people to do what is in theirs. Uh, it was a real pleasure talking with Steve. Uh, he's such a smart guy and just an all-around good dude. I hope that this conversation helps you understand some of these ideas better, and hopefully you'll start applying some of this stuff in your own life. Um, I know for me, in the weeks since I've read this book, I've been really trying to adopt some of these practices. So here it is, my conversation with Steve on meditations. All right, so take two. <laughs> this, uh, yeah, this has been an eventful hour. We ate a burger, we're nice and relaxed, and then I forgot a vital piece of equipment, jogged half a mile to Best Buy, pissed off an employee, ran back here, was frazzled, we started recording, and I actually, we didn't start recording. I thought we had started recording, so we got about <laughs> five minutes in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe this is just a good time to reflect on some of Marcus Aurelius's words. I need to not be like a leaf blowing in the wind. Yeah. And uh, find my center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be in the present moment. I mean, yes. there's lots of interesting present moments in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was too much in the in the present moment when I was packing for this <laughs> and completely forgot to pack the adapter. But um we're here now. We're here now. And thank you for, for having me. Your your place looks great. It's all set up for Christmas. And yeah, so we met a mm -hmm. couple a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Ryan Hallman, who organized a book club meeting around this book. Mm -hmm. So we've been meeting with a group and discussing this for the last five weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been really cool just hearing like a bunch of people's perspectives on it. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I had read some books on stoicism before, but this is the first, uh, direct source book that I had, you know, first hand account that I had read. And mm. it was definitely interesting because I think a lot of these modern interpretations, um, sanitize some of the pieces and we can get mm. into it later, but there's a lot more, um, almost a religious element to some of the writing here, which I didn't mm. expect from some of the third party sources, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting when you read something in the moment versus um, the sanitized version now. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. I've not read too many of the um, kind of newer, like what is the one uh, Ryan holiday and stuff. I, I haven't read any of his stuff, but mm -hmm. I listened to one of his podcasts and mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a bent towards like, 
how can we make this uh, practical and useful, which it is, is very, it lends well to stoicism because it's very practical and useful sure. philosophy, but, sure. but maybe there's a little bit of um, skipping over the, the more um, esoteric or, or like you said, kind of like religious aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we should talk about the translation. We yeah. actually read two different translations. I read the Gregory Hayes and then you read the Donald Robertson slash Tom Butler Bowden. Okay. Uh, translation. Cool. Yeah. And we were saying before we started recording, mine seems to be, it's a newer translation. It seems to be more just nuts and bolts. Uh, and yours is a little more embellished, a little more lyrical. Mm-hmm. I like yours better, actually. Yours was much more plain speaking, which. You know, we're not here to read poetry or uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, jam out to some U2, you know, like a Roman U2. So <laughs> I think it's better just to understand the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the way Marcus would have wanted it. That's the way Marcus would have wanted it. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to Marcus. So my book has a, a nice introduction, a lengthy in- introduction where the translator is saying it's not really clear why Marcus Aurelius wrote this, um, but it's pretty certain that he wasn't expecting it to ever be read by other people so he's kind of writing this for himself and as the title meditation suggests it's kind of like him meditating on a few of these core themes Mm -hmm. and it's why the book has a very kind of repetitive feel um you know, it's written in 12 different books, which aren't necessarily linear. Like, mm-hmm. again, we don't know if these were written in any kind of order, uh, but they're definitely not organized by theme. In fact, in order to do this podcast, we kind of had to r- almost like rewrite the book in terms of <laughs> just like, okay, this kind of uh, aphorism is similar to this one. This mm-hmm. is similar to this one. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of reorganized it. But yeah, it's kind of funny that you bring up like how, what does that even mean? Like, why why did he write it the way he did? Because mm. I was just thinking while you were talking about the fact that this is sort of like his journal on the things that he wanted to center himself in before he started his day to mm. make sure that he's doing these things. And it makes sense that a lot of it's repetitive because if, if those are the things that he's most struggling with and most want to highlight, it's yeah. important that you... And if it's coming up more often at certain times, mm. it probably means he's struggling with it more, maybe. Right. And that was a great point because, yeah. Um, because yeah, it, this book is very much, it seems like it's very much written as like him giving himself the advice that he needs to hear rather than him saying like, oh, I've got it all figured out. Here, oh, yeah. You people, this is what you should be doing. I think the other thing that comes up a lot mm-hmm. for me with this book was like a lot of the things that he's reminding himself of are the kinds of things that we are quick to forget when we're kind of in the heat of the moment sure. or in the daily grind. Sure. Like usually we're so, you know, we have such tunnel vision and we're so f- narrowly focused on the task at hand. We're so reactionary. It, like human yeah. beings are a very reactionary species. Right. Yeah. And we're not we're not kind of able to zoom out and look at the kind of 50,000 foot view and say see like, you know, some of these themes about like we're we're all going to turn to dust someday and like this thing that you're stressing about is not that important. That dongle um, that you didn't have, uh, you know, <laughs> 10 years from now is going to yeah. it's going to be fine. No one's going to be like 
on their deathbed. I wish I had that dongle 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> I know. I yeah. know. Oh, dongles. It all yeah. works out. So yeah, so meditations, that's kind of why this book, I think, is called what it's called. He's kind of reminding himself of his values. And the other thing this book kind of reminded me of, at least, um, was uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of had a similar practice uh, around his virtues in terms of starting every day, asking himself, like, um, what good can I do today? And then he would actually kind of chart how he was doing of just like, you know, did I give myself a 10 out of 10 for humility today or for temperance today and kind of kept track of it. So I was reminded of that book often while I was reading this. Yeah. You brought that up before. Yeah. He he got 11 out of 10 for humility, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. There is is actually a funny passage uh, Uh in, in meditations where Marcus says something like, there's nothing worse than somebody who boasts about how humble they are. Uh, (laughs) He says that a couple of times, a couple of different ways. Like, yeah. Like, don't, don't get so in love with being that guy doing that thing. Because when you fall in love with the thing that you're doing to make society better, you're being that guy that no one should be kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, he's big on just like, just do the right thing, you know, for the sake of doing the right thing, not to kind of show everybody how awesome you are. Yeah. Um, Well, cool. So we're not going to go through the the book in a linear fashion Mm because I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. But maybe we can start with book one because book one is a little unique in that he is just kind of go, he's kind of doing an exercise of listing all of these people in his life Mm -hmm. and then writing about why he admires them. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a cool practice and Mm -hmm. it's also kind of a neat way to figure out, what things that he values. Yeah, I find it um, pretty interesting. Uh, One of the early ones, like the first one besides his direct bloodline, is number five where he talks about his tutor Mm. being neither of the green nor of the blue party at the games in the circus, nor partisan either of the parmillarius, I'm totally butchering that, or the Mm. scutarius at the gladiator's fights. Essentially not being partisan and like Mm. i think that's very relevant for our world these days yeah and as emperor i'm sure people are always trying to get him to be partisan for him to be one of the first things the first thing that he writes that he admires about someone that's not in his direct bloodline to me that says that he really values that and or maybe struggles with it since we said it's also him trying to right. remind himself of things that he <laughs> needs to work on. Yeah, right. That, and that's a theme I noticed too. It The way that I kind of paraphrased it was um, seek truth no matter who's saying it. Hmm. Um, and he says this was book four, uh, chapter 12. He mm-hmm. says, reconsider your position when someone can set you straight or convert you to his. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me think of, uh, Ray Dalio, Mm -hmm. the, um, investor, he, in his book principles, he says something like, I want the best answer, not just the best answer that I can come up with. So I I think, I think he's saying something similar there. Mm -hmm. Like even if the other person or the other party is speaking the truth, then that's what you should believe. 
Yeah, and I think that's incredibly important if you're the emperor because if you don't look for the truth and you're just believing the first influential person who's in your ear, people's lives are on the line. People mm. could die from that or people could be exiled or, you know, so it's really important that he's disciplined in that way. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these passages are kind of, you can tell they're kind of colored through his lens as an emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's funny that you brought up that quote because directly after that it talks about, you know, how we were talking about how you got to just walk the walk. Like you can't fall in love so much with the fact that you're doing something. So it says here, but this change of opinion must proceed only from a certain persuasion as of what is just or of common advantage and the like, not because it appears pleasant or brings reputation. Mm. So it's like, if you're doing it because it just feels good or if it makes you, it boosts you up, again, you're doing it for the wrong reason and it's not going to work out for you, you know? Right, right. He's yeah. constantly bringing those caveats up for himself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the logos. Sure. Because this is really at the core of understanding Marcus's philosophy, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a little nuanced of an idea and of a, of a word. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read the introduction. I'm going to quote a little bit from that to kind of frame this a little bit. Sure. So uh, of the doctrines central to the Stoic worldview, uh, the world is organized in a rational and coherent way. More specifically, it is controlled and directed by an all-pervading force that the Stoics designated by the term the Logos. Logos operates both in individuals and in the universe as a whole. In individuals, it is the faculty of reason. On a cosmic level, it is the rational principle that governs the organization of the universe. In this sense, it is synonymous with nature, providence, or God. All events are determined by the Logos and follow in an unbreakable chain of cause and effect. And then later he says, humans are responsible for their choices and actions, even though these have been anticipated by the Logos and from part of its plan. I, I think it's tough to read some of these passages because there's not really a English word that captures that full idea of Logos. Yeah. Like it's not quite rationality, but in some of the passages it seems like it's rationality. It's not quite nature. Mm-hmm. It's not quite God or mm-hmm. providence. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's kind of maybe uh, an umbrella word for for all of those things in, in different circumstances. Yeah, I'm yeah. smiling because I keep thinking when you're reading through all those words, I'm like, this guy is like talking about. I feel like you know the Force and Star Wars. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like that's what I'm, the vibe I'm getting <laughs> as you're reading all this. Yeah, and I mean, it's that's you should done the Yoda voice. It, yeah, it, yeah. No, 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 yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a funny example, like uh, a thing to compare it to. But I think it's not super far off. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I was like kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Like, is this literally like the Force? Like, if you think about like the way it's portrayed in the mo- movies, it's exactly almost pretty close to one to one with what the way he was the way it goes with the what you were reading yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he kind of yeah like almost kind of deifies rationality yeah. as well i yeah. too because i think i think for marcus aurelius rationality is the tool or the thing that allows us to kind of not just be at the whims of our fate 
like we are actually able to use our minds, use rationality to decide how to act. Yeah, like rationality is sort of what separates us from the beasts. Like he mm-hmm. keeps talking about, like beasts are just gonna do what they're gonna do. Like a rat's gonna do what what a rat's gonna do. But yeah, we have this superpower, and we gotta make sure that we use a superpower in the way that it's supposed to be used because it's a gift and it's almost like um it's the touch of the divine almost inside of us and we mm. should you know use that touch of the divine in the way it was supposed to be used yeah and and i think to add to that mm-hmm. kind of use it the way it's supposed to be used for us because mm-hmm. he also thinks that every person has their own nature mm-hmm. and that our job is to kind of do what is in alignment with that and some uh yeah some quotes kind of on that mm-hmm. theme book five chapter 36 he says just do what you can and should um 425 he says the good man is content with what nature assigns him um in 622 he says i do what is mine to do the rest doesn't disturb me oh and then i really like this one too uh 643 he says, does the sun try to do the rain's work? <laughs> so we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play, yeah. And we should play our role, not not, not the rain's role if you're the sun. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think also kind of implicit in this is that it is our job to focus on what we can control and focus on ourselves, essentially. Like, there's a lot in here about, like, don't pay attention to what other people are doing, what other people are saying, their opinions, like focus on you and the thing that you can, things that you can control. Yeah. I mean, it says, um, let me read. Yeah. There's a book where he just like, kind of like just rags on what people are going to be like. And he's like, you know, don't pay any mind to them. Yeah. uh, Book two, uh, chapter one. Uh, I don't know how it translates on yours, but on mine, um, it is deliciously funny and also very true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, the most most truth is funny and vice versa. Begins with, uh, begin the morning by saying to yourself, I shall meet with the busybody, the ungrateful, the arrogant, the deceitful, envious, unsocial. All these things happen to them because of their ignorance of what is good and evil. But I who have seen that the nature of the good is beautiful and that the bad is ugly and that the nature of he who does wrong is akin to me, not only of the same blood or seed, but that it participates in the same intelligence and the same portion of the divinity. I can neither be injured by any of them, for no one can fix on me what is ugly, nor can I be angry with my kinsman nor hate him. For we are made for cooperation like feet, like hands, like eyelids, like the rows of the upper and lower teeth. And then he goes on to say, to act against one, an- one another then is contrary to nature and is acting against one another to become frustrated and to turn away. So as he both talked about a lot of people suck, mm-hmm. but if they suck, it's because they don't even know what's up. Yeah. But, you know, don't go nuts on those people because they're part of like like you're also like you're all different appendages or eyebrows or whatever and you guys got to work together like if you singe off your eyebrows mm. like 
you're gonna just be an eyebrow eyebrowless dude just walking around and like <laughs> that's on you you know you can't burn off your eyebrow person totally totally yeah that's <laughs> that that's such a great passage because there's so many of his core ideas that are in there sure yeah um i think the way you it started was just kind of like wake up in the morning expecting people to suck essentially yes and um yeah my translation was when you wake up in the morning tell yourself the people i deal with today will be meddling ungrateful arrogant dishonest jealous and surly (laughs) and surly um, i like that one yeah that sounds sassier than unsocial (laughs) right (laughs) and this is like the way i kind of paraphrase this whole idea is like expects dogs to be dogs or expect ungrateful people to be ungrateful i think the the bigger picture is expect things or people to do what is in their nature to do mm-hmm. and later he, he even talks about a fig tree yeah he says you shouldn't be surprised that a fig tree produces figs <laughs> nor the world it produces uh, a good doctor isn't surprised when his patients have fevers and again i think you think he's kind of speaking to our how quickly we forget yeah like what is in people's nature to do sure we're just always anytime somebody is shitty to us we're always just baffled like can you believe that asshole yeah he's just like you know expect people to do asshole like things when has that ever not been the case yeah if you have an asshole boss i'm not talking about my boss (laughs) Uh, (laughs) awkward laugh yeah uh like if, if that person um acts shittily and they've been a shitty boss, like, should you be surprised by that? Or, you know, go off the handle? Mm. Or, you know, can you kind of in a way anticipate and expect it and know that, you know, they're still part of, you know, even if your eyebrows are shitty, you still need your shitty eyebrows, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then that's the other part I think that fits in is like his idea that we are all interconnected in this you know web that is spun or i'm I'm, I'm mixing metaphors here he uses the body metaphor Mm -hmm. that like yeah you are like an appendage of 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 a person Mm -hmm. and so you can't just be this kind of like severed limb off on its own just kind of wiggling around yeah yeah like (laughs) he was saying like if you just see a severed limb on the side you're not like that's a great hand that's just wiggling there (laughs) in blood like good job hand you know like yeah it's got to be attached to something and like for it to really be the best mm. version of itself and for the body itself to be the best version of itself. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I've, I know I've been thinking about this kind of like, um, again, the way I paraphrased it is like expect the dog to act like a dog, mm-hmm. expect um, ungrateful people to act what is in their nature. This is something I, I've thought about a lot in the weeks since we've been reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I had curious a, what you what you think about it, per, but you, yeah, you go ahead yeah. on it. Yeah. Well, there's a few examples. The kind of mundane one, like it's December now and it's cold, mm-hmm. and like I've just been so I've just been so acutely aware of all the people that I talk to who are just like, oh, it's so cold out, and my my mind is kind of like thinking like Marcus would probably say like, when has it ever not been cold in December? <laughs> like, why does that surprise you? Yeah. Um, and then the, the kind of less mundane example, was, you should respond that way. Yeah. yeah. Slap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, what's yeah. his problem? Yeah. 
Um, that'll keep your face warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spring comes in the spring, summer comes in the summer, and like, you know, yeah, I mean, this is all of of nature, right? Yeah. Right. It's it's almost like yeah. a it's the way he writes it's it's faith. It's it's there's a, yeah. it's a lot of like religious I'm not I'm not saying it's necessarily the traditional religious, but the way he writes it has this like religious lyricism to a lot of the metaphors he uses. It's almost like mm. a daily meditation or prayer or something. And right, right. And and I think where that happens as well is when he's talking about like whatever is natural mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be something like death like death happens to everybody so therefore like why why fear it why so i think that it is bad it is it is natural um he says i'll read a few of these Mm -hmm. uh he says it was for the best so nature had no choice but to do it and then he says something happens to you good it was meant for you by nature woven into the pattern from the beginning so this is kind of his view again that like the logos or nature is, is good. The like the unfolding of whatever is happening is for your benefit. And he even says this to like quote unquote bad things. Mm-hmm. Um see if I can find the the passage, but he basically the the idea is even like negative things that happen to you are for your own benefit because you can, you know, use your mind to grow from them. Mm. Do you mind if we go back to like the oh, yeah. death piece? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk more about yeah, death. Let's talk more he, about death. He talks a lot about death. Yeah. Um, a lot about death. Yeah. So I got the impression like he had maybe more than three, but three particular prongs or thoughts come to mind about his themes when it comes to death. Yeah. So one theme that he constantly brings up is what you were talking about with logos and nature, which is death is just a change. Mm. And why are you fearing change when, when change is constantly happening? Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of our, uh, book club members, when we were reading it together was saying, you know, we're constantly dying. Mm. So why fear death when it's been happening this entire time? Right. So right. he talks about that change always happening and death being a part of that change. The second piece, he constantly brings up specific people's names when he says, in death, like this important person is the exact same as as this, you know, schmo mm. on the street. And so it's like the great equalizer. Yeah. So if in death were like that, then you know that says something about the real value of both of those, both the important people and quote unquote non important people. Totally. Can I read the? Yeah, one yeah. The past I feel like I you can... wanted to say something about. Yeah. That. So that, so that one, the kind of quote that captures that. This mm-hmm. was Book Six, Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died, and the same thing happened to both. They were absorbed alike into the life force of the world or dissolved alike into atoms. Yeah, I think that captures that death is the great, the great equalizer. Yeah. Um, And I think the third piece, the third prong, yeah. Yeah, the third prong (laughs) with uh, death is that um, it's going to happen regardless. So, 
well, first of all, don't cling on to it like a gladiator fighting against beasts, like being all torn up and still going at it. And、mm. he's saying it's usually the people who like lived the biggest waste of time lives, who like didn't do anything with their lives, who cling on the hardest. But first of all, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And secondly, you know, I don't know if it's in this book or just in general with stoicism, but memento mori.、Mm. Yeah. Remember, you know, remember death is coming for you and. He constantly talks about, like, yeah, live in the moment because you know that death is coming. So, in this moment, you should be living even more. Right, right. He talks about death so much, and some of it even has kind of like a somber flavor to it. And the, my, the translator in mind kind of talks about it. It's kind of depressing or even like seemingly nihilistic at times. But I think I, I read、yeah. it as like hopeful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think so. Some of these that kind of、um, capture that maybe more somber tone. Right. right.、Um, Human lives are brief and trivial. Yesterday, a blob of semen. Tomorrow, embalming fluid and ash. <laughs>、um, words once in common use now sound archaic in the names of the famous dead as well. Right. Camillus, Cassio, Volsus, Dantas, Scipio, and Cato. Everything fades so quickly, turns into legend, and soon oblivion covers it. And those are the ones who shone, the rest unknown、uh, a minute after death. What is eternal? Well, excuse me, what is eternal fame, emptiness? So I think if we ended it there, it kind of has this like, oh, well, then. What should we just turn to nihilism because everything is, you know, use like useless? We all just we all just die.、Right. But then he continues、mm-hmm. and he says, "Then what should we work for? Only this: proper understanding, unselfish action, truthful speech." And then at another point, he says,、um, after kind of one of these diatribes about everybody dies, it's right. all trivial. Right.、Uh, he says, "The one thing that isn't worthless." To live this life out truthfully and rightfully,、mm-hmm. and be patient with those who don't. So, I gathered from from that the one thing that is worth pursuing is living virtuously,、mm-hmm. and that that's how we can kind of, you know, create meaning in our life or purpose in our life. Like that, that virtue itself is the purpose, the purpose of life.、Yeah. And I、yeah. mean, you know, stoicism is a virtue ethic. Sure, and they he kind of. Like we talked about earlier, kind of harps on like you do the good thing for the sake of doing the good thing, not、yeah. to get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's.、Um, I mean, I told you earlier that whenever I read those kinds of passages, I would reach out to my mom more often. You know, <laughs> tell family members that、yeah. I love them and stuff like that, and make time for your friends who you always. "Quote unquote," never you know are too busy to make time、mm. for, and then you don't see them for like a year. Yeah, and when you know that、um, that there isn't, you know, this can be anything can happen at any time, then you're、mm. much more in the moment. And the other thing too, where you talked about how <laughs> we're a blip of semen, and then we're just a blip of dust, essentially. Yeah, yeah.、Um, And that, like, people already forgot, like, all these quote-unquote famous people in their heyday and whatever. Like, you think in another point he talks about, like, in one generation, you know, the most famous people, like, 
people kind of remember and two generations like no one will remember you even the most yeah. like even the kings or whatever mm-hmm. and i find that again maybe this is like very dark or very emo of me but like i find that kind of like hopeful too because it's mm. like i think so many people are so obsessed with trying to live forever through what they do in their lives i'm gonna work at my job so hard as a way to impact it in a way where I can live immortally through this job or through this child or through this art. And when you understand that, like in the grand scheme of things, like those things aren't even worth pursuing as uh, ways through immortality, because even those are fleeting and in two generations, like no one will even utter your name. Yeah it's kind of freeing in a way because a lot of these get you stuck in your head in these like cycles that are not healthy for people. And I think it's a good reevaluator. Right. Right. Yeah. It kind of takes you out of that feeling of like Mm self-importance or self-aggrandizing. It's self-aggrandizement. We self-aggrandize all the time. And it's like, (laughs) when you take a step back, you're like, this is silly like so much about life is awesome and i'm yeah. i'm too busy like thinking about this like yeah, yeah this like future like um like legacy that i'm creating and i'm like but in the moment like i'm missing all these things totally well and he says another part this is kind of his more like cheeky side coming out <laughs> uh he says cheeky aurelius yeah cheeky aurelius to paraphrase he says basically like why do you care about what future generations are going to think about you? Like they're just as dumb. <laughs> they're going to be just as dumb as the current generation is. And then another point he says when he's t- talking about like why we shouldn't care about other people's opinions, he says basically like they criticize themselves. They don't even accept themselves. And yet you want their, you know, praise and adulation. Um, so it's yeah, like like human beings are, care the most about themselves and yet the approval that they want the most of and the person's opinion who they value the most is other people yeah he's like how does that make any sense right right (laughs) right yeah it seems like a bit of a a contradiction i mean it 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 doesn't accept i guess you know like if we're gonna talk about like terms of uh evolution i mean yeah. That, then it makes sense if you're going to be knocked out of the society and whatever. But Right. Like your your reputation does matter. Um, like evolutionary speaking. Yeah. Logically, though, like, yeah. and if he's saying Logos is his, you know, the prime mover, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Well, and I think another large piece, too, is like the reason that we shouldn't be focusing on the opinions of others or what other people think. Mm hmm is basically like that's all out of your control and like again coming back to like so much of this stoic philosophy is like you know kind of like the the um the serenity prayer like let me um what is it uh lord grant me the courage to change the things that i can and to accept the things that i can't and the wisdom to know the difference Mm -hmm. that to me i think captures so much of this and for marcus aurelius the one thing that you can control is you and your mind and your actions. Huh. Everything else is off the table. So, so I mean, I guess that what I'm getting at is that also includes what other people think about you. 
and what other people do. Yeah. So I think is why he says also like somebody doesn't like you, their problem. Somebody does something wrong, their problem. What is your pro? What is your issue? Is what you can do. Yeah. Um, um, what you said kind of brings up two things in my mind. One, um, <laughs> whenever I have misbehaving students in my class, yeah, they're always like, when I talk to them on the side, I'm like, you know, what's going on, man? Like, why, why are you, you know, talking out of turn or whatever? And the line always is like, but they're doing it, they're doing it. And like, I've always been like, you know, you can only control yourself. And I'm asking you only to think about what what are you doing mm. and um so I, I guess i was like doing that sort of you know practicing stoicism or asking them to practice stoicism without even knowing i'm like you're only in control of yourself like i i, I actually i always pose that as a question i'm like you know who are you in control of in this room and they're always like me and i'm like yes so <laughs> mic drop <No>. yeah <laughs> yeah basically yeah, yeah yeah so then you know work on yourself like, that's the thing you can control. Mm. I've also said that to, you know, people, like, kids who come crying to me about things that aren't ideal. Um, mm. So it works both uh, as a way to kind of um, gently correct their behavior, but also as a way to kind of reflect when they're uh, over overwhelmed. For sure. Well, and there's another piece that I think is kind of, related to what we've been talking about which is that the person who sins maybe sin isn't the right word that transgresses in some kind of way (laughs) (laughs) that that person is harming themselves right right um and he even goes as far as to saying they're not harming you like not like basically nothing external can harm you it's only your interpretation of it but that person is harming themselves which again sure. is i think something that's kind of unique maybe not just stoicism but one of the kind of things that to me if with stoicism has always stuck out that like most of us think of like oh you shouldn't you shouldn't treat people badly because you're going to hurt that person right this kind of flips it on its head and says no you shouldn't treat that person badly because you're going to degrade yourself sure the logos within yourself is right like deteriorated or desecrated i guess if we're talking in religious terms yeah he says um quote if they've injured you then they are the ones who suffer for it and then another point, he says, an individual act of evil does not harm the victim. Only one person is harmed by it, and he can stop being harmed as soon as he decides to. Yeah, so that's kind of coming from the person who is doing the transgressing. Mm-hmm. The person who's being transgressed upon, mm-hmm. again, this is the idea that like external things can't harm us. Uh, he says in chapter or in book 12, it's all how you perceive it. You are in control. Uh, and then he says, choose not to be harmed and you won't be harmed. Don't feel harmed and you haven't been. It definitely helps with uh, getting offended. Mm. So when I was younger, I would get offended real easily by random things and like things that obviously, I guess, like a lot of times we say something is like the way I am. Like I am a smart person or I am a 
person with great hair, whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and if someone says something about directly against being a smart person, then yeah, like you could either be offended.、Mm. And I used to be. And then I realized, like, who cares? Like, a lot of times, I, you know, I ask myself, do I value the opinion, like, genuinely value the opinion of this person?、Mm. And a lot of times when people are saying harmful things, I think we could tell ourselves honestly that we probably don't in general. So why are you valuing this particular opinion? Yeah. I think it's also if you're kind of thinking about when somebody says something. Potentially, that's mean to you. If you're kind of thinking about it in this way of like, that person is harming themselves、mm-hmm. more than they're harming me by doing that,、mm-hmm. I think it kind of triggers a sense of maybe instead of get, feeling that like indignation, indignation, thank、yeah. you, you're kind of feeling kind of compassion for them. Yeah.、Um, also, another one of these ideas is basically that all. Sin, if we want to use the kind of religious framing of this, are due to ignorance,、mm-hmm. which that's a big message here.、Um, he says, no one does the wrong thing deliberately.、Um, and he says, when people injure you, ask yourself what good or harm they thought would come of it. If you understand that, you'll feel sympathy rather than outrage or anger. And again, it's like, it's the idea that basically, like, they are transgressing against you because they think that they're going to benefit from it in some way.、Mm-hmm. But I think he would say they're actually not going to. So they're actually going against nature and are going to suffer for it. So therefore, you should actually feel pity for them or feel、um, s- sympathy, I guess. Mm hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it, it ties too into his whole conception of nature and the logos. Again, it's just like if, if nature, logos, God, whatever we want to call it, is good, then it makes sense that doing evil is going to come back to bite you in the butt. Yeah, I mean, like if we're talking about like going back, because I think everyone can relate to having a bad boss at some point in their lives. Mm hmm. Got a bad boss yelling at you, being like just a big ass hat. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good word. Yeah.、Um, the biggest hat of them all. Yeah. And、uh, obviously, a lot of us in the moment feel resentment and angry.、Mm. But when, if you see this happening, you know, in a recurring way, a lot of times when you get to know the person, You realize a lot of times they are deeply unhappy or have things going on that, you know, I would not wish upon, you know, pretty much lots of other people. Yeah. And so I think it's good to kind of remind ourselves that maybe, uh, the, It is okay to like, you know, like to empathize with, not to condone it necessarily, but to understand that this person is probably struggling in some way and to like、mm. empathize with them while also understanding that it's not okay, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's important. Yeah. Kind of, it's again, kind of zooming out and saying like, okay, well, this person's probably acting like an asshole because they're suffering yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, what are some analog examples in the real world to like, what are some I, of these things that yeah, we're talking I about? I had, and- I had a, uh, instance cause I sell comedy tickets in times square mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes some homeless people or crazy people, drunk people will come up on me and kind of trigger me in different ways. I had this guy, he was just, he was drunk and like belligerent drunk and just screaming at a bunch of people. And I wasn't making eye contact with him, was just trying to avoid, stick to my own thing. Mm-hmm. And he somehow latched onto me and got it in his head that like I was the devil yeah. and just got right in my face and was just screaming at me for like over a minute just continuing and i was trying to do this i was kind of like stepping <laughs> back and i had reason yeah i was like reading this earlier that day so i was like all right what would marcus do in this situation <laughs> yeah <So>, wwmd <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like all right this guy well he's drunk for one but he's probably suffering he's probably angry at the world angry at somebody in his life angry sure. about something yeah he's probably trying to connect in some kind of way or trying to be seen in some way and this is maybe the only way he's learned how to be seen mm-hmm. so was having all of these thoughts rationally but i still had the very emotional reaction i was like i just want to fucking punch this guy in the face sure um, <laughs> so i probably have further to go in my uh my stoic practices but it's at least i guess the best first step to at least be starting to have that thought process because I, I think what he's saying, most people are just probably just caught up in the the emotion in and, the loop. Aren't, yeah. and aren't even able to kind of zoom back and be like, all right, what's kind of look at it as if you're floating up above the situation. What's actually happening here? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. first of all, I, I don't think you necessarily have more work to do than a lot of other people who are also <laughs> reflective. Yeah. Because remember, this guy wrote a whole freaking book about you should do this and that because to remind himself so obviously he's not perfect with this either because otherwise why write this journal to remind yourself if if you're always like perfect right if you're already doing it yeah exactly so he's probably struggling with the same roman you know street equivalent version of a Times square guy yelling in his face yeah he's also struggling with those things and that's why he's writing in his book Mm, so you yeah. should for you should write in your book next time when he does <laughs> that should. take out take out a journal when he's yelling yeah. in your face and just you know yeah. just write very peacefully <laughs> while still keeping an eye on him so he doesn't stab me sure yeah um not getting stabbed is always a good <laughs> yeah. thing yeah uh, but this uh, like i don't know if he, he says explicitly in this book but i know a lot of stoic books talk about feeling emotions is natural and Mm. you should feel these emotions and feel them fully and deeply. But what makes us rational or what makes us, you know, part of logos, the logos is that, you know, refractive period of thinking, okay, I felt this emotion. How am I going to react to what am I going to do about that reaction? And yeah. so you were doing both of those things, right? You you felt the feeling where you wanted to um, maybe punch the guy in the face yeah. and um, take out the word maybe. Yeah. But then you also took the refractory time to kind of go through all those thought processes in your head. And ultimately, you were able to kind of 
do the right thing by not, <laughs> by you not, know, enacting yeah. some of your thoughts. Yeah. And, and I'm sure in hindsight, you know, like even though you felt that anger and you, you going through the things in your mind definitely helped give you a sliver of equanimity that you would not have had even a sliver of if you hadn't gone through those thoughts. Right. No, I think it's a good point. The, the, I think the point of it is not to stop feeling emotion. It's to like notice yourself feeling the emotion and kind of like step back and kind of, uh, l- you know, zoom out a bit and give yourself a little bit of that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a lot of great, we're kind of talking about equanimity here. He has a lot of great metaphors for this. He says, stop being jerked like a puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I would think he's talking about, from an emotional sense, being jerked around by your emotions. Right. Um, he says in book seven, not a dancer, but a wrestler mm. waiting, poised, and dug in for sudden <laughs> assaults. And again, that's a kind of like life stance, seeing yourself as kind of like, I just watched this documentary on sumo wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like seeing yourself as this like, your feet are planted, you're kind of ready for whatever is going to come at you. Yeah. And then the final metaphor, or not the final, but just another one that I noted was, be like the rock that waves keep crashing over. It stands unmoved and the raging of the sea falls still around it. Both, I have, I, have, I have thoughts about both metaphors, but I want to first go to the um, the one that's like, be like a, a rock, let the waves crash yeah. over, and then they'll still. I find that very interesting because I feel like most metaphors in our current society are about be like the water, go with the flow, like be like flexible, mm. so... I don't know what is what does that make you think versus what is commonly spoken about in our society these days like what sort of thoughts come up for you Yeah no that's that's really interesting I don't know I think a little bit about Marcus writing this as an emperor who was from my understanding during his reign there was warfare there was like a lot of stuff happening a lot of chaos a lot happening of disease yeah So I think that probably affects your life your life philosophy is that like, if you're surrounded by chaos, you are probably going to be drawn to a philosophy that is like, all right, can focus on you, focus on what you can control be, you know, be sturdy, like a rock. Okay. I mean, I find that interesting because, um, you know, we were talking before, uh, before the podcast about, um, how sometimes people in countries when there's great upheaval, they want someone who's a little bit more firm-fisted, like like, like Napoleon. Like Napoleon or, yeah, yeah. or Hitler, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then when things are going good, though, they're like, yeah, just let us do our thing, you know, just, just flow or whatever. So <laughs> I could see that Let's perspective. join a commune. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually, I hear you on that. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. I actually think that, well, okay, sorry, I, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, and like even before Marcus, like the Hellenistic age where Stoicism kind of came to be mm-hmm. was an age of great turmoil. Okay. So, and I know this this isn't like an original thought to me. I've heard it elsewhere that sure. that's kind of maybe why this kind of philosophy had some appeal is it um, offered a little bit of stability, stability during yeah. a very uh, a time with a lot of chaos and instability. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but sorry, but I didn't mean yeah, to yeah. No, knock no, you off here. No, that's good. I didn't mean know. to knock, be the water that knocked you <laughs> off of your, uh, <laughs> your Yeah, man, I'm just going to sit here rooted <laughs> as a wrestler rock, just yeah. not moving. <laughs> wrestler rock. Yeah, the rock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think like, uh, I think some people when they say be like water and be flexible and move like move with what's happening it's like i think they still mean you know stay with your core self but don't let your core self be so like what he talks about where it's like you're so in love with the thing of being the thing that you that you're focused on loving the thing instead of just being the thing Mm. and so i i think they're not those metaphors aren't as far apart as they sound like they might be yeah it might be a false dichotomy yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah i think of like was it bruce lee the be like water mm-hmm. yeah I, I wouldn't i would think he would still say you have a strong core strong sense of self strong center yeah but then you're also kind of flexible to adapt to what comes across your to all the uh yeah. annoying people that are gonna come across your uh <laughs> metaphorical train ride or emperor emperor ride in the morning <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah um i was also thinking a lot of these ideas are very buddhist the yes. um especially when he talks about um we actually haven't talked too much about this idea but he talks about seeing objectively what is in front of you mm-hmm. like kind of free of evaluation mm-hmm. oh yeah right right maybe i'll read a few of these to kind of yeah. frame it book four he says see things as they are um okay this is a good one he's this is in book six he says like seeing roasted meat and other dishes in front of you and suddenly realizing this is a dead fish a dead bird a dead pig or that this noble vintage is grape juice and the purple robes are sheep's wool dyed with shellfish blood. Yeah, I don't know. What do you, any any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I was thinking kind of like it's another way of kind of zooming out and sure. saying like, all right, well, what's actually, what actually is this? Yeah. What's actually happening here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, this thing about wine specifically, like people all the time are like, oh, this is a fantastic vintage or blah, blah, blah. And like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I just switched it with a $10 wine, I just slapped on like yeah. a fancy bottle and I told a great story about it. They'd like get lost in the story, but it's just grape juice, right? <laughs> it's just really, really old grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your new wine label. Yeah. Old grape juice. Yeah. Steve's old grape really, juice. Really, really old grape juice. Grape drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, but they put so much of their um, ego into being able to drink these fine things Mm. and you know so many people care about like oh like caviar it's like it's just a fish egg and like people think it's like the fanciest thing and like i don't even think i think a decent number of people probably don't like it as much as they think they do because they think it's fancy and that's why they like it yeah when they've done studies on that with the wine yeah like um yeah, people actually prefer the less expensive wine a lot of times in like blind taste tests. Sure. I mean, yeah. you know about lobster, right? About um back in the day they used to feed lobster to prisoners because it was just like the worst quote unquote the worst food and mm-hmm. now yeah, because perceptions have changed, we've lost like our, you know, now it's like uh, 
subjectively speaking, it's a fancy thing. Now right. it's like, you know, super jacked up in price and it is what it is now. And it's all based on perception, but really mm. it's the same creepy looking red thing that it's been all the time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this is also, um, this idea, there's actually a Marcus Aurelius quote in silence of the lambs Okay, that Hannibal Lecter says, uh, this was, he was a Marcus Aurelius fan. He was, <laughs> he, he tells Clarice to read Marcus Aurelius. Yikes. Um, he says, ask what is this fundamentally what is its nature and substance its reason for being what is it doing in the world how long is it here for and i think in that movie it's a different translation so it's not not quite the same but it's it's that same same uh yeah this is eight eight eleven so we don't in, do that a lot and he's well yeah and he's because clarice in that movie she's the detective trying to figure out who buffalo bill is mm-hmm. who like when will he kill again sure so marcus i think there is asking you to like get really get in his he- his head and say like you got to think like who is this guy what is his nature what is his reason for being what is he doing in the world mm-hmm. like if you understand that and you can really get inside his head like that see it objectively then you can um you can find this this guy and stop him from killing again yeah such a good movie <laughs> i haven't seen it. i'm oh, one of the man. only people in the world who hasn't seen right. it well yeah i mean there's a bunch of quotes i know i've seen some youtube clips but yes. i've never actually seen the whole movie so <laughs> it's it's put it on my list yeah i'll add it to the list as a uh, captain america would say <laughs> um yeah, we kind of talked about this interconnectedness, which is another kind of has a little bit of a Buddhist flavor. And then there's a few ideas that to me seemed kind of Christian in nature, mm, yeah. uh, which is kind of interesting historically too, because, uh, you know, Marcus's reign was before, like Christianity was still just like a kind of um, small sect. But one of the things... I labeled this idea as there's nothing new under the sun. He talks a lot about like, if you were to go a hundred years into the future, people would still be doing the same things that they're doing now. You know, they'd still be having the same thoughts, the same fears, the same anxieties. He says, uh, quote, the world cycles never change up and down from age to age. Look at the past empire succeeding empire and from that extrapolate the future the same thing no escape from the rhythm of events which is why observing life for 40 years is as good as a thousand would you really see anything new no i I think we we talked about this before with um some other people but i think um someone saying that someone who dies at like let's say like 18 years old versus someone who died at age a hundred, you know, stoicism might say that they both led lives and did they live to the best ability that they could have? Then they lived a good life and it's supposed to happen the way it does. So if someone dies at, at a young age of 18, you know, it's almost like, disrespectful to say you know that the person died too young because the person lived the life that they were supposed to live Mm. which to me i mean logic like emotionally speaking it's like 
it's a tough pill to swallow, but yeah. logically there is some sense to it. It's just we as, you know, human simple semen to dust people. <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard to Well, and I think the other piece of that yeah. idea is his idea that like the present moment is the only thing that is real. Sure. So he, I think he says in that I if I could find the exact passage, but it's basically like the the person who dies is just being robbed of the present moment. Like basically right. the future is right. not it's not really real in the sense that sure. um like it's just an idea. Right. And the past is just a memory. So the present really is the only thing. And and I think that's where he kind of extrapolates to like that's why it doesn't matter if you die when you're 18 or when you're 80, you're still just losing the present the moment. Present, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, the, the idea of presence and, you know, being present, uh, comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, book 12, he says the present is all we have to live in or to lose. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that idea. And, um, he also says, give yourself a gift the present moment and There's so many like um cliches now where it's like, <laughs> yeah the present is a gift or whatever and you know i guess uh i don't know if it was a cliche back then when he wrote it or if it was uh he he's one of the progenitors of that but mm. if he is you know he's a smart dude i mean he's a smart dude in general <laughs> yeah yeah i know that passage for me kind of reminds me like nothing is certain like i have you know um a friend who's coming and we've been planning this for a couple months and like, I've kind of had to remind myself of like, until she is actually here and we're sitting together, like it's not actually real. Yeah. Um, you know, like God forbid anything would happen, but like, I think that's the reminder. And he says, <laughs> this one actually made me laugh. He says, as you kiss your son, good night, whisper to yourself, he may be dead in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember reading that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, That's maybe don't say it out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your son might freak out. What'd you say, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that reminder of like I'm gonna, the, be, I'm gonna stay with mommy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the future that like it's the the idea that the future is not a given. I mean, especially He's, for him in particular, losing all those children. I mean, he probably was telling he, himself that every yeah. Day. I think what did we say he lost like twelve children throughout his life. Yeah, something like that. Crazy. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I don't know. And again, I think that kind of is one way to kind of get you to appreciate the life you're living right now. Um, another kind of a memento mori type of uh, practice. Yeah. Well, this was great. Yeah. Uh, we got off to a little rough start with me running around, literally we, running around like an idiot. We got off to the start that <laughs> needed to happen so that we could practice something that related to the stoicism that we were going to talk about today yes and it was it was in the logos for me to forget that dongle <laughs> well cool man thanks yeah. so much thanks thanks for having me thanks for listening to unpacking ideas if you enjoyed the episode please share it with a friend or scroll down and write us a review or give us a rating I know that all takes a little bit of effort, but it really helps with the algorithm so that more people can discover the show. So thanks for doing that in advance. 
If you would like to get in touch with me, please visit unpackingideas.com. Or if you would like to see what's coming up on the podcast, uh, visit unpackingideas.com forward slash podcast. And there I post links to articles and essays and books that we'll be discussing on future podcast episodes. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you.